Sometimes Jesus got angry. Mark chapter 3. We uh, spent quite a bit of time in Mark chapter 1. A little less time in Mark chapter 2. In chapter 3, I think we'll go through maybe even a little faster. So Mark chapter 3, and we're going to be starting in verse 1. Just to help us keep our bearings as we're moving through Mark, with each gospel writer, they are giving us a portrait that uses their personality and their background and their audience that they're targeting to give us different views of Jesus. And Mark is here. We are ending up now in the end of a five story units. The first one we covered two Sundays ago, and that was the questions that Jesus asked. And that was the paralytic was healed. Mark chapter two, verses one through twelve. And then next it was last week, it was asking Jesus why. And we covered three of those story units, numbers two, three and four. And in one of the questions that Jesus was asked was about association. The next question Jesus was asked was about fasting. And then the final question that Jesus was asked was about the Sabbath. That brings us to today, and this is the last of these five story units. Sometimes Jesus got angry, and this is about a healing on the Sabbath. We live in confusing times. I've had so many conversations recently with so many people, and it's like we don't even have to explain ourselves. We just make a comment about the times we live in, and we all know what we're talking about. It feels almost surreal. What is happening in our country? How do we process this? The beautiful thing about the Gospels as they portray our Lord Jesus Christ is that we can look and see him in these complex, confusing situations. We can see what he did and how he responded. And like today, we see what was going on in his heart. And that can be very instructive for us. So first of all, this morning, we are looking at a very charged situation that Jesus was in. Have you ever been in a room with two other people that you knew could not stand each other? Do you remember how you felt? You could just feel the, the intensity of the air and perhaps those two people are trying to be somewhat respectable and they're maybe only half succeeding and you can just feel the charge in the air. I remember in high school, a couple of situations where fights suddenly broke out and I was close by and all of a sudden you went from so a normal atmosphere to an atmosphere that was electric there was shouting, there was smacking of flesh and teachers running and scrambling, trying to get in between folks. Charged atmospheres. Seems like, although most of us, if not all of us, weren't directly in the situations. It seems like in 2020, at least every other month, there was another charged situation. And although we may not have been there physically, we get the feeling of the electricity of the situation through the media reports that we consume. 
And today we are observing Jesus in a charged atmosphere. The tension had been mounting as we looked at these five-story units. Each time, the situation is getting a little bit more charged. So let's look then at Mark chapter 3 in verse 1. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So here we have the God-man Jesus Christ. We're going to look at a lineup here in the situation. The God-man Jesus Christ, no matter where he goes, he brings charge to the atmosphere. And here he entered a place of worship where prayer and the teaching of the word took place. Him, being the word of truth himself, always would expose the shadow teaching of the elders and the traditions of the elders. And we've already seen that in Mark so far. Jesus was also now in conflict whenever he was around people on the Sabbath because he was exposing the difference between the traditions of men and how to keep the Sabbath and what was True about the right way to keep the Sabbath. And there was this tension building the longer Jesus' public ministry went on. So here we have an opposite, an opposite of what we would expect. Instead of being a place here in the synagogue where people could come to learn and to worship, it was now a place of struggle and conflict. And struggle over what was really true. So first in the line up here is Jesus. Next, there was a man with a withered hand. If you remember a couple weeks ago when I spoke about the paralytic, somebody who has a disability, there is a whole world of struggle, of survival and a support network. And sometimes having the proper attitude themselves with how they interact with their disability. And so just having somebody who has a disability can bring a charge to the situation and how people are going to interact and what the attitude of that person is. We don't know much about what was going on. Luke adds this this withered hand was his right hand. And most people being right-handed, that could really affect his ability to earn a living. Now, I wonder where he was in the room. Was he placed in the middle of the room with nobody around him? Was he placed in the front row in a very obvious spot? Did he know that he was being used as a pawn for the religious leaders? We don't know answers to these questions, but I'm trying to ask these questions to draw us into the situation and get us to feel the situation. So here again, the opposite of what should be happening is happening. Instead of being focused on how we can care for one another, we have a man being used as a pawn. So the lineup is Jesus, this man with a withered hand, and then we have they. They watched to accuse Jesus. 
They being the religious leaders. So notice the progression between Jesus and these religious leaders in these five story units. The first one, when Jesus healed the paralyzed man, Jesus confronted the religious leaders about their question of disbelief. And then next, they asked him about this question of associating with a sinner or a tax collector and those types of people. Then they questioned him about him not keeping the tradition of the elders about when they should fast and when they shouldn't fast. Then they asked him about keeping the Sabbath again and whether or not they should be allowed to gather grain as they walk through a field and eat food. And then today we're looking at how they watched Jesus so they could accuse him. So throughout these units, there's been a building tension and now they're going after him and they're looking for ways to accuse him. So the tension is mounted. And so here again, the opposite of what should be happening is happening. Instead of fo- these religious leaders focusing on truth and caring for others, they were in a power struggle, in a showdown with Jesus. So in this lineup of Jesus and the man with the withered hand and with the religious leaders, very charged situation Inside out, opposite of what should be happening in this situation. Now, we all will be in situations like this. Or we will need to process situations like this because of what we get from the media and the descriptions of these situations all around our country. This means it is helpful for us to see if there are some principles here for us today that we can learn from how Jesus handled these types of situations. I know I'm very interested as I read about preachers and pastors and spiritual leaders from past generations and how they navigated through their ministries and are there some principles that I can learn from them? It's the same for any leadership role that you are in. You will be in situations that are complex and tough and confusing and the things that should not be happening are the things that are happening. And how do you prepare your heart? And how do you handle these things? What are some principles that you can go by? How about just the basic idea of our families? All kinds of things happen in our families. Crazy situations. Everybody, every family's got some weirdo in the corner somewhere, right? Maybe a few of them. Maybe your family has three or four weirdos. Or maybe there's a heartache or two. Every family has a few heartaches or two. Family-ing, if I can put it that way, is hard. And so we usually have a desire within us to learn from other families who have been in similar situations or they've been through it and we want to see how they did it. And that is how I look at the situation we are here with Jesus. How did Jesus handle this charged, complex situation? And what can we learn as we handle situations like that? What Jesus did was he asked another question. Mark chapter 3 and verse 3. 
And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, to the religious leaders, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. So a charged situation, how did Jesus respond? Jesus asked another question. We saw two weeks ago that Jesus asked two questions when this paralyzed man was lowered down before him. And he knew what was going on in the hearts of those religious leaders. And he asked them a question, two questions. There is the power of a pointed question, a honed in question that puts people on the spot for an answer they do not want to give. In this charge situation, Jesus did not back down. Jesus did not avoid the conflict. Being the God man, Jesus Christ, he knew exactly what was going on in every way in everybody's hearts. And he chose to give attention to the situation and to confront it head on. And in this case, with a question, he drew their attention to the core issue with his question. Don't miss this. This is an amazing capacity here and in a charged, electrifying, tense situation to have the bearings to ask a pointed, well-formed question at the heart of the issue of the situation. Now, I know Jesus was the God-man, but let's be amazed at the God-man and what he did. And let's see what we can learn. The ability to keep your mental and emotional balance in a situation the way Jesus did, is a wow. So let's look at how we can respond. Number one, if you need space for healing, make sure you take it. Now, this might be unexpected for me to say that, but that you need to understand where you are in life right now. And if you are in a, a spot where you need healing you need to be very careful how you engage charged situations. You need to have the wisdom as well as get the feedback from others who love you and are caring for and helping you to understand where you are in life. And if you are in a, a, part, in a time of damage and, and hurt and trying to heal, be very careful how you are interacting with toxic situations. But next, you get your inner strength through your walk with the Lord and a healthy relationship with his church. Now, we're talking Christianity 101. I know that. But let's move beyond what we know and what I know to the reality of often how we live our lives. Many Christians either through their immaturity or through their disobedience, are continually failing 
to make sure they're in a regular communion, a rich relationship with God through his word, through prayer, and then through a healthy relationship with a Bible-centered church. There are many Christians who they do their church thing, but they don't have a healthy relationship with their church. A part of being strong and strengthened in the ability to interact with these dynamic, complex, intense situations comes through a proper relationship with God and his people and his body, the church. And then third and final, get your ability to focus on the core issues. That's what Jesus did. He was he had the ability to in the moment, in the situation to to know the core issue and be able to identify and hone in on it. That's what we want to be able to do in difficult situations. And we cultivate that ability, first of all, through an active study of God's word. If you're not a computer user or a smartphone user, you need to know how to use Strong's and Young's Concordance. Get in there and grab it. Or Vine's um, Expository Dictionary of Words. Grab your study Bible and have no, know the notes in your study Bible. You can be strengthened in your ability to hone in on core issues through iron sharpening iron from fellow Christians. When was the last time you got into a good, deep, rich, meaty conversation with one of your fellow believers? Does that happen once a month? Does it happen once every two months? Does it happen once a week? I'm not going to tell you how much. It should happen. That's between you and the Lord. But it should be a reality that happens in your life on a regular basis. And then finally, a steady diet of Bible-centered preaching. We live in an age where access to Bible-centered preaching is unparalleled. Amazing. Yet, I think we also live in a time when people accessing Bible-centered preaching is almost at an all-time low. The Lord even reminded me about this in the last six months, and I've been trying to focus. You know, pastors need pastor too. Preachers need preach too, too. One of the things I've tried to change in my life is I'm trying to increase my time of listening to other preachers give me the word of God. A lot of times we can check the box once we get our our Sunday morning sermon and then we move on and we just well, we check the box next Sunday and move on. When's the last time you listened to a sermon besides coming to church on Sunday morning? It is interesting. I I know our lives are busy and I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I'm trying to draw your attention to a core need in our lives. It is interesting. I know that our live stream is often used, but um, we have on our website, we have sermons from past Sundays. 
and those are hardly touched. Now, you can find better preachers than me. Fine. I hope you do. But the point is, is I think that's something we need to consider. We can avail ourselves to the available preaching that is given to us. If we miss a Sunday and we're not able to listen to the live stream, grab the sermon archive off of our website. It's also on a podcast. If you want to subscribe through the podcast, make sure that you're subscribing to other preachers podcasts. Please, I beg you. Find some other ones besides me, but engage in Bible-centered preaching more than just Sunday morning. One of the things I do is I I speak slower, but I often listen to myself after I speak, trying to evaluate, and I'll turn myself on 2x speed, okay? You can't do that right now, but as I listen to other people, even other preachers, a lot of times I'll turn them on 2x speed. Or every once in a while, I'll turn it, down to just the regular speed. I said, like, man, I got to get this. But use the tools that you have and immerse yourself in the preaching of God's word. Folks, we are so blessed, but we are also so distracted. And so our ability to hone in and keep our balance and have the, the spiritual strength and wisdom and skillfulness to handle complex situations is disappointing. And here as we see Jesus as our example, let's be challenged. A charged atmosphere, and Jesus asked another question, and then a cause for anger. Boy, our lives here have been filled with causes for anger. And here we get to observe Jesus when he has a cause for anger. Mark 3, verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Don't want you to miss this. Here we have a moment of silence. At our local public school, every morning we do a Pledge of Allegiance. And every day it's followed by a moment of silence. Don't miss the moment of silence here. It is powerful. A little bit different type of moment of silence. But Jesus had just asked a very pointed question with an obvious answer. They refused to answer him. They didn't want to answer him. They said nothing. And then there's a moment of silence. And he looks around the room at them. Very intense silence. And in his look, at that moment, there was a heart of anger and grief. A combination of complex emotions. Only Mark gives us this this window into Jesus' emotional state here. And it seems to be one of Mark's gifts to us in his gospel is he gives us more information about the emotional state of the situation. 2020 was a year full of reasons to make people angry. 
So let's talk about anger for a minute. Jesus' anger was perfectly righteous. We expect that Jesus had that ability. But is it possible for fallen humans to have righteous anger? We talked about this a few months ago when we were in between series. Yes, it is possible for humans to have righteous anger. But the overwhelming majority of anger expressed is unrighteous anger. Anger is a response to a perceived injustice. We are moral beings created in God's image. And so we value justice. Now, what we consider justice is warped and tainted by sin. But we are guaranteed to have dispositions of anger, expressions of anger, because our sense of justice is going to be messed with at one time or another. Be offended, crossed. This is a huge topic and we could do a month long sermon series on this. We're not going to belabor it too much this morning, but I want to attempt to give the principle about anger from this passage. Here it is. It is possible for a Holy Spirit filled Christian to experience the complex emotions of anger and grief towards the sinful actions and dispositions of other people. It was a little long, so I want to say it again. It is possible for a Holy Spirit-filled Christian to experience the complex emotions of anger and grief towards the sinful actions and dispositions of other people. Let me tell you something embarrassing. Every week there are complex situations in our home when I express unrighteous anger. I think you already knew that. Well, my kids are angels, okay? My wife's an angel. But I struggle with that weekly. Let me tell you something that is a blessing. Every week, as I draw near to God and walk in his strength, I am able to navigate some of the complex situations in a Holy Spirit-filled manner. A Christian, if they truly are a Christian, many folks name the name. A Christian who spends most of their days living in their own strength will not be able to face these complex, charged situations of life in the right way. 
Christians who are living like that are going to be flat-footed. They're not going to be on point. And they're constantly going to struggle with the wrong response. So a charged atmosphere. Jesus asked another question. A cause for anger and then the falling out. Mark chapter 3 and verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. We use the slang that I had a falling out with so-and-so and now we don't talk. Here we see a falling out with the situation there with Jesus. Things were different after this. We're talking about outcomes here. How things ended up. After this encounter Jesus had with the religious leaders, the fallout was that they now were seeking for a way to murder him. The first mention of Jesus' death here in the Gospel of Mark. Outcomes, fallouts for Christians are not always good. As we saw with Jesus, usually you have to go down before you go up. As Americans were obsessed with the American dream and the prosperity that comes with it. And so we struggle with outcomes, fallouts for Christians that aren't rising the ladder with more prosperity. The prosperity gospel will teach, not a good gospel, will teach that when you obey, things will always be materially good. We may not like to acknowledge, but we struggle with that as Americans. The New Testament teaches that there will be times of suffering. Jesus taught that the way they treated him is going to be just the same for his followers. So be ready for fallouts. We must expect and accept that there may be fallouts for us here, even in America, that, that cause negative things to happen. The hardest thing for us as America to accept is what Jesus taught about following him. If any man will follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his suffering, murderous, bloody cross, and then follow me. As you look to the future, not that our inner nature is not to say, oh, the future is going to be terrible. I'm just, I know everything's going to be bad. No that's, not, no, that's the way we don't think. However, in your concept of the future, do you understand that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you should expect fallouts? There will be an ultimate fallout in this world, but in the best way possible when Jesus returns. But in the meantime, in the in-between, Jesus tells us to expect those fallouts. They don't end up well. Speaking in human terms. 
look at a couple of points of application this morning. Are you spiritually flat-footed? Flat-footed term, especially used either in boxing or in sports. Somebody who's on their toes, they're ready to go, they're ready to move at any point. And, and when something happens, they're, they're not caught. Just, we give Jonathan a hard time because he's always this off. You know, not paying attention. And you tell him to do something and it just totally goes by him. Now, he probably gets that from me. I, I get it. But, you know, somebody who is on their toes, they're ready to go, they're ready to pivot, move at any moment, and they know how to move the right way whatever comes at them. And somebody who is not in the Word on a regular basis, who doesn't understand what it means to have a prayer life with God that is rich and regular, they're flat-footed. They're the opposite. So they're going to enter a situation like what Jesus was in or like the complex situations in our life today, in our families, in our country, in our workplaces. And they're not going to be ready. Number two, how are you processing your anger? <laughs> it's funny, but it's not. When you can, if you can observe from the somewhat outside of a situation, when you see somebody get really angry, and then what happens next? Some people, they just, everybody just ignores it and they move on with life. That's kind of the funnier one. It's like, really? You're just going to do that? You're just not going to talk about it and move on? The thing that's not so funny is when you can just see the devastation and the, the, the hurt and the, the, the fighting back and forth. How are you evaluating your anger? Don't act like you don't have anger. Look at your anger for what it is. With God's help, be honest about what it is. With God's help, make right with other people. When you mess up, I had to make right with James, I don't know, a couple weeks ago because I got angry and I was too harsh with him and Say, hey, James, daddy messed up. Ruptures happen, folks. Rupture is a part of relationship. But reconciliation is too. Be honest about your anger. But also have the hope that with God's strength and with his power, you can move from sinful anger to righteous anger. Even in the craziest of situations, there are things that happen. It's like, wow, I cannot believe in my life that these things happen all in the span of this short amount of time or in these few hours or these couple days. Like, wow, this is crazy. You can, with God's help, navigate the craziest of situations and handle your emotional state in a way that honors God. Last of all, are you hopelessly overwhelmed because of today's complex situations? Many people are. I mean, just make it abundantly obvious. You don't have to be. I understand why you are. But through what we have in Christ and the filling of the Spirit, we can go through the craziest of situations in God's strength. Expressing ourselves emotionally and mentally in the appropriate way. 
Let me challenge you also not to be self-righteous. You're not always going to be able to, through your own maturity and wisdom that you perhaps have gained over the years, do it right. You can rely on your wisdom and your maturity that you've gained, but that alone is a poor substitute for what we have in Christ Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Let's take a few minutes and respond to the Lord. Be honest. Acknowledge what the Holy Spirit is showing you. And do business with the Lord.